of the day to all you podcast listeners. Welcome to the Everyday Missionary Podcast, episode 262, and it comes to you from the snow-covered caps of the foothills just suspended a little outside of the Cascade Mountain Range here in Washington State. Yes, it is a snowy day, has been a series of snowy days out there, and for me, it was both snowy and powerless until late last night, uh, which is not uncommon where I live. Typically, it's like Yeah, as soon as there's a gusty wind, as soon as there's some batch of snow, power goes out. We got a generator, which is nice, but it doesn't let you do everything, right? So we can do a lot of stuff with the generator, can't do everything with the generator. Uh, And so uh, we just hung out, we decorated the house for Christmas, which was great. It was like, hey, if we're stuck, might as well do something uh, constructive with our time. And so did that, and now finally with power and with a solid internet connection, yes, I can do the Everyday Missionary Podcast. And so uh, I think I mentioned last time, which I skipped last week because it was the festivities, we're back at it this week. I think increasingly this is becoming an every other week podcast. Podcast. I've joked about that. It might just become a reality uh, because unlike many podcasters who are instantly like trying to put their stuff on Patreon and they want to try to get you to give anywhere from five bucks to nine or ten bucks a month to sponsor our podcast, this is 100% free. My goal is to have it remain 100% free till the end of its legacy or time whichever comes first, and uh, since it's not going to be time, it'll be its legacy, but uh, anyway, so because of that, like I said, I'm putting it in the margins of other things uh, to do throughout the week, and so sometimes it gets done, sometimes it doesn't get done, it's just the way it kind of works out, so anyway, we are firmly now into the holiday season, uh, and I was thinking about this in relationship to the topic today, and uh, if if I kind of simplify the topic, it's all about the problem of uh, being a victim, accusing others of being victims, and I don't mean this in legitimate victim ways. Like, um, I don't mean this as far as sexual assault victims or victims of violent crime or things of that nature, victims of white-collar crime where you lose your entire pension. I'm not talking about that kind of victimization. Um, but rather, it's a conversation I was having with somebody recently where it had, like, these two arms to it, and they were sort of lamenting all of kind of the younger generations that make themselves victims of all sorts of different things, right? So they're a victim of the culture and the victim of their parents and they're a victim of the school system and uh, they have this kind of victimization mentality and they're like, I'm sick and tired of all this victimization, right? Everybody has to be a victim for everything. It's all the same people that got a trophy for participation and now they're just victims in life because as soon as life isn't fair, they feel like they're a victim, right? That was kind of the essence of the conversation. But then inside the same conversation, there was this comment about it's hard to be a white, straight, heterosexual male. As though real victimhood is white, heterosexual, straight males that are Christians, like evangelical males, right? If you're all of those things, then that's the real victim of society, not the kid that got a trophy every year for just showing up and eating orange slices at soccer, you know? And, and I thought this is what's really interesting to me is that we we kind of look down on other victims, but then we tend to elevate our own victimhood when it's convenient. And And as I was thinking about this, I'm not so much trying to scold or anything else or say, you know, People shouldn't claim victimhood or everybody is claiming victimhood, including the people that are claiming other people are claiming victimhood. Like, that could be all true. But I was thinking about this more from something that Paul gets into in the book of Romans. And and I think this is valuable for us as everyday missionaries because, again, there's a few things that I'm, I'm steered by, I think, as a Christian. And one of the big ideas is 
like I, I think people approach the disbelieving problem from different angles and they're probably all actually valid just depending on how you look at it. So some people look and go, well, the reason people are disbelievers is because their heart is hardened and they just don't like the truth and they don't like Jesus and they don't like God and they don't want to bend their knee. And that's the reason they're turned off. And that, that could be true, but that's not the one that drives me the most, right? Because I can't, I can't control all of those factors, the one that probably drives me the most is where I meet people that say, I don't do it, I don't want it, I don't believe in it, I don't follow it, because the followers of it, they are not nice, they're not welcoming, they're not kind, they're bigoted, they're judgmental, they're pick-your-phobic, you know, like, that, that, or in some way, maybe they've been hurt by religion, they've been hurt by the church, that kind of thing, and, and that's the one that matters more to me, because I go, that's where we can clean up our act. Right. There's some stuff we can't we can't handle what's going on in the interior of a person at a spiritual level. Right. Wherever their barometer is, is not getting set by what we do. But there's another maybe thermometer in there that does get affected by the external surroundings. And that is something that we very much can have an impact on. And we've all met people that say, I'm done with faith or Christianity because I got burned by it or I got wounded by people in it or I've just seen the ugly side of it or I just watch the news and I see inconsistency, hypocrisy, whatever else, and I don't want any part of it. And so the thing I realize is, the world is always listening and maybe in part they're listening so it can validate their perspective. Like maybe it's like they're already kind of saddled to be kind of in this disbelieving posture internally and now they're just using all this extra stuff that we mess up on to kind of make the external extra point. You know what I mean? It's like they're just pulling in all the debris to to reinforce their position. That may be true, but I still go back to like an old hockey idea. You got to clean up what's going out on the ice, right? You got to clean up your game. You got to clean up your puck passes. You got to clean up stuff. And that's where I'm looking at the everyday missionary so often and saying, how do we clean up our game so that we're removing some of those excuses from from the equation of a person that's looking at the Christian faith and, and either considering it or they're turned off by it, that at least they're not turned off by it for our lack of focus, but rather they just internally are, are not interested in the whole equation of it, right? Like that's kind of what drives me a lot more, which is why then there's so much tone of the everyday missionary on us cleaning up our game, so to speak, right? Like that's what I kind of care about more. And I, 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 I've said this before on the podcast, but I go back to Jesus's millstone analogy about the person that deserves a millstone to be hung around their neck and thrown into the depth of the sea. Now, again, I think this is hyperbole for Jesus. I want to be clear. I think a lot of things Jesus says is more hyperbole than it's like, oh, that's the 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 actual visual image of what's going to happen. I think he's just saying, this is how serious you want to take it. It would be better if this happened than if you were found in this position or doing this kind of thing. Um, and so I think Jesus is just notorious for hyperbole all over the place. That's just my personal take on kind of studying the text, which is why we don't have people running around with no eyes and no hands because we know it's hyperbole. He doesn't want you to pluck them out and cut them off. He's giving you a sense of, here's how important this is, right? So in the millstone analogy, what's important there is that's not disbelievers that cause believers to fall away and those disbelievers are going to be thrown into the abyss of hell with a millstone around their neck and it's a watery hell as opposed to a fiery hell, right? Jesus says to his disciples, if you all, my followers, cause others to fall away from the faith, that's millstone behavior. That's why I want us to clean up our game. That's why I want us to be aware of what we do and don't do, how we sound and don't sound in the marketplace of our world, in our relationships, online, whatever it is, like that we are communicating the essence of what Jesus wants us to communicate, that we're... um, 
anchored in dispositions that he wants us to have. And therefore, for this topic of the day, going back to the victim thing, here's what I think is really important, that we don't in any way, shape, or form sound like the victims of this world. That we don't talk in terms of, oh, well, the the world hates the white, heterosexual, cis, male, conservative, evangelical. That's the worst person to be. I'm like, you know what? In the social food chain of the United States, the white, conservative, evangelical male is still at the top of the food chain in a lot of ways. We are not a suffering lot of people. We're really not. Like, this is part of my thing. I'm like, on average, we're doing better financially than most other persons of color and and other categories and classifications. Uh, Socially, we're fine. Like, there is not a bunch of problems for this. Yeah, there's going to be people that are loud. They're going to talk smack about every kind of conceivable group. Every group has a counter group out there that talks smack about them. But by and large, you know what? I don't suffer for being a white, conservative, evangelical male that's a pastor. There's just no suffering that's going on for me, right? There's a few people that don't like me, a few people that don't agree with me. It's not a problem. So I, th- I think this is where when I start hearing that kind of talk, I'm like, stop talking about that. Stop sounding like a victim for that. Because Jesus actually said, when you follow me, you're, you're going to be throttled by this world. And then when you do, you're supposed to take it with joy. So when we start to sound like, oh, here it comes. Here's the Christian persecution of our culture socially. We don't sound like we're joyful. We don't sound like we've embraced and welcomed Jesus's challenge to us, like the double dog dare you to have a good attitude when you suffer. Like we sound like the opposite of that. And that's not compelling. This is, again, kind of a little bit of millstonishness to me because instead of it communicating how fortified we are, how much joy we have in Christ, how much the conditions of this world don't uh, uh, interfere with my dispositions internally and spiritually. Instead of that, we make it sound like, oh no, this is this is rotten. This is so terrible. I'm so bummed out because some people don't like me and they voice it that way. And now I feel like I'm being attacked. Like we don't want to be like that because again, Anytime, even if we were legitimately suffering, it should be like, hey man, it's okay. I love those people. I get it. They got frustrations. They feel hurt by my category. Totally get it. There's probably been some real hurt out there in their life. And I want to be a source of trying to change that narrative, right? Like that's a much better response to it. Or I think about like this time of year where people talk about the war on Christmas and the war on religious liberty and Hollywood is against Christians and they're against traditional family values. And, and there's almost like this lament about it. And I go, great. Let's say that's all true. Let's say there is a war on Christmas, which there's not. Let's say there's a war on religious liberty, which even if there is, we keep winning every legal battle that gets brought up. So we're not losing that war if there is a war. I don't think we need to complain about that. And even if Hollywood is kind of, quote, against family values, Hollywood's in it to make money. Like, whatever they're doing, I don't know if they have a priority as much as they just have, like, an agenda of making cash as best they can. And even if they have some kind of agenda... It still doesn't matter because we're called to be positive light, difference makers, salt in this world. And I believe the way we most effectively do that is we do that by having, again, a a healthy, positive, encouraging, inspiring disposition. When we feel the pressure, we don't cave under pressure and we don't whine under pressure and we don't point fingers under pressure, but rather we stiffen our spine, we rely on the spirit and we display the fruit of the spirit when under pressure. So here's why I've been thinking about some of this stuff. So in the book of Romans chapter eight, Paul makes this statement toward the end. He says, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us, 
right? And it's this great statement, overwhelming victory is ours. Some versions say more than conquerors, but this overwhelming victory is better because it gives the tone, I think, of Romans chapter eight. So what we want to remember when we go, there's a war on X and a war on Y and a war on Z and they're all against us and we're hurting and we're persecuted and we're not liked and Christians being mar- Christians are being marginalized in our culture and everything else. Uh, you know what? Here's the thing. We go, and? And? Like, Again, when we signed up for this, we were told that's the way it was going to be. And he's like, in doing this, if you sign up for this, you're going to respond to those things in the ways I want you to respond. So even if you look at the cross scene and the whole... um uh, trial up through the crucifixion. Jesus is getting slapped around. He's getting beat down. He's getting lied about. And, you know, he isn't saying, this is the war on the Messiah. This is the war on my both Christmas birth and my execution. And, you know, like, it, he's just, like, chilling. He's just, like, not saying a word. And when he does talk, it's usually pretty generous or it's even to say, forgive the people that are doing this very thing, right? Like, that's the position and posture that he takes. And this is what inspires me. When I see Christians in the midst of persecution receive it with joy, receive it with a stiffened spine, receive it with a smile on their face, that motivates me. But when I hear people get on the news or I read a blog or I see a pundit or I see something on social media that's kind of talking about how unfair this all is. It just makes my heart sink. And I go, that are, there's nothing inspiring about that because it doesn't remind us that overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Now, here's why I think this is really, really important. Uh, when Paul says that, he says it in Romans chapter eight that comes in a bigger pocket, a pericope, we call that in interpretation, a section of the Bible, a section of Romans eight. And it's all about suffering, right? This is what's so amazing about it, right? So he talks about the fact that, hey, in this world, there's suffering. This whole world is suffering. Uh, even creation is yearning for a type of rescue, right? So everything is suffering. Paul's like, don't be surprised by suffering. But but in the midst of your suffering, even when it's really, really deep, you got to remember nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Everything is going to have some value and purpose to shape us more into his image. And thus we are overwhelmingly victorious in Christ. His context is suffering is the catalyst to relying on the Holy Spirit to move in us in such a way that we are stabilized in the midst of our hardship and, and, and suffering. And then from that, we're reminded, man, we have victory. We have victory victory in these things. Now, back at the beginning of Romans, he tells us, but you got to have the mind on the spirit versus the mind on the flesh. The mind on the flesh is going to cause problems. The mind on the spirit is life and peace. And I think this is part of the problem. Sometimes we start looking at how the world may be against Christians as we perceive it. And sometimes I think they're against us. And sometimes I think we're earning our licks and they're just pointing that out. So I think both are true. One is our problem. One is their problem. Clean up our game, right? That's kind of my thing here. So, So in this, though, it's reminding us that, hey, the only way I'm going to suffer well and remember I have overwhelming victory in Christ and therefore I'm going to love those who are against me well, the only way I'm going to do that is I set my mind on the spirit. If my mind's on the flesh, I think this is unfair. I'm a victim. It's so sad. We've lost our culture. It's all going to hell in a handbasket or in a Buick or whatever thing you want to drive to hell in. Like, you know, like we can get into these really negative spaces and that is a fleshly mindset. The hardest thing I think sometimes for us as Christians to remember is that we can have incredibly fleshly mindsets in the name of Jesus. We can, right? So when I start thinking like the the world is the problem and they're the enemy and I've got to 
figure out how to manipulate the system to keep my enemies from taking away my rights and taking away my freedoms and taking away my religion and taking away my Jesus and taking away my Christmas and everything else. Like when we're in that space, that's fleshly thinking in the name of Christ. Religion does it all the time. We've got 2,000 years of, of healthy demonstration of in the name of Jesus doing fleshly minded things. But a spirit minded space produces life and peace, Paul says in Romans 8. It produces a sense of kind of low and slow. It, it, it produces a sense of, oh yeah, the Beatitudes. Like, I'm going to remember there's blessing for those who mourn and those who are meek and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And yes, I'm, gonna, I'm blessed if I'm, I'm crying. I'm, I'm blessed if I'm, I'm brokenhearted in that sense. But I'm also blessed because I'm being a peacemaker. I'm being pers- per- pure in heart. I'm being persecuted. Like, there, there's amazing stuff there in the Beatitudes about like, oh yeah, this is what I'm meant to do. This is how I'm meant to do it. In these times where I am the white, conservative, evangelical, cis, straight male, and I feel the world coming down on me, I go, you know what? Listen, no big deal. I can't control what the world does. I can control what I do. And it's not complaining about the fact that I may not be liked, but rather I'm going to love those who don't like me. I'm going to speak well of those who don't like me because Jesus is really clear. Love them, do good to them, bless them, don't curse them, pray for them. Don't just kind of gripe about them. Like, like all of it is in there, right? Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain, my mojo, right? It's all there. And that's what we want to do. And so my encouragement to all of us as everyday missionaries is to think in terms of, I'm not a victim. I have overwhelming victory. I don't have the world against me in a way that crushes me, but rather if the world is against me, that can fuel me not to be biting, not to be arrogant, not to be pompous, not to be in their face, but rather it motivates me to love them, do good to them, pray for them. It motivates me to live out my faith even more radically, to do this upside down and backward stuff of Romans chapter eight. When I am getting pressed, I am not really getting crushed, right? Because man, I have overwhelming victory. Nothing can separate me from Christ, right? Go back and read it yourself, you know, because it's so great. You know, he's like, man, things above, things below, heaven, earth, it doesn't matter. Enemies, friend, nothing can separate you from Christ, nothing. And therefore you have overwhelming victory. And I believe that is the mental space we all should be in because I would find that compelling. Every time I see somebody complaining about how the world is against us or how the country's changed, I'm just like, you're so uninspiring to me. <laughs> You're so uninspiring to me. I want to be inspired by people who suffer well. Now, I'm not saying that suffering's easy, and I'm not saying that that there aren't some areas of suffering that's so overwhelming that it just you need others to shoulder you in that suffering. But I, I, I listen to a lot of the cultural complaining, and, that, and we're not suffering. Like honestly, we're, we, Christians in our culture in almost no way are suffering. You know, ministries have. All kinds of, of, of opportunities, all sorts of options. Uh, you know, there's the, the sky's the limit in so many ways within Christianity and our culture right now. Honestly, like I'm on the other end of the spectrum where I go, if anything, the only thing that's really getting in the way is our own poor behavior. Nothing else is getting in the way to me. Like, Oftentimes, I even think the pressure of culture against Christianity in our culture is just because they're e- it's easy to point out our bad behaviors. It's just low-hanging fruit. It's too easy to pick off. And the more, again, we clean up our game, we get that stuff out of it, and, and the more we don't sound like then we're, we're belly aching for the fact that somebody called out our bad game, right? Like, that's another problem, too. Like, why are they always talking about how we make all these mistakes, man? Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody's human. Right, but we're held to a much higher standard in Christ, and we're given a Holy Spirit that empowers us to live up to the higher standard that we're given. Unless there's no Holy Spirit and we're all doing this on our own, then 
then we should realize that, like, no, man, I have to hit a higher bar. And the higher bar isn't per- perfection. And the higher bar isn't just being moral, right? The higher bar is something different. It's the upside down and backwards nature of the kingdom of Jesus that's like, the greatest is the least, the first is the last, you know, I'm going to demonstrate these fruits in the midst of any kind of hardship because I know that those fruits are what win souls to Christ when I live those things out in hard times. That's what's compelling. I look at Paul in Philippians 4 and I go, man, I want to be like that dude that didn't have his internal compass moved by his external factors. He's like, man, I can do all things plenty and and, and nothing, much and little. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Why? Because I'm doing the stuff of earlier in Philippians 4. Like, that stuff, that's cool to me. That is the place we want to be, right? And so trying to secure ourselves in this world and try to ensure that this world is not standing against us or standing against our family values or whatever else, I go, who cares, man? We got the job to do. And I believe the more we do that job, the more it will woo and win people over to what it is we authentically believe and do. I think we're pushing more than we're pulling right now. I think we're pushing people away more than we're pulling people in. The more we can get our game cleaned up and pull people in, the more we're not victims, but we have overwhelming victory. And the more that victory is played out, not with us trying to be strong and pushy and forceful, but humble and loving and caring and kind and thoughtful and gentle and coming alongside people, loving them in their space for versus judging them for the space they got themselves into. The more, my friends, I believe we do that, the more we will be effective everyday missionaries.